Yes, hello, folks. Welcome to the weekly Manchester United podcast. I'm Rose, as always, Phil Brand, with my regular co host here, James Rhodes. James, how are you doing, mate? I'm doing pretty well. How about you? Well, good, all good. Promise we bring the show back on a Monday. Let's see if I can upload the correct podcast after this <laughs> last week. Um, for those of you who are wondering, last week, uh, you, you, you really speak about your greatest victories, but the last 15 minutes, they show professional composure on our podcast. <laughs> but um, only the very best can accomplish, which may have explained why I made an error in uploading an incorrect podcast. But, uh, you know, nature called the last 15 minutes. I <laughs> <laughs> um, somehow just about kept it together, if you know what I mean. But um, yeah. nonetheless... Um, United v Fulham this weekend. Horrendous performance. Uh, James, it's hard to find a positive. Uh, it was a terrible, yeah. terrible performance. Um, at the time of recording this podcast, the NEO Steel just got announced last, the, uh, right after it. So we'll cover yeah. that, of course, in some of Rackley's comments. But we must first start with the game at the weekend. Obviously, Ten Hag unlucky prior to the game with the injury to Hoyland. He's lost key transformative players. I completely accept that. But... That Fulham performance, there's been far too many of them. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, they're doing a whole lot of analysis on on the Monday Night Football Sky show, like right now as we speak. A lot of things flying around on, on Twitter and whatnot about all of that, talking from Jamie Carragher and other people who really do understand the game quite well. Um, you know, my concern was that we, I know we spoke about this at length and we didn't know Hoyland would be injured at the time of recording the last one ahead of this Fulham game. But that, you know, my my concerns with our winning kind of run since Aston Villa at uh, in December were that what was working was Hoyland, Garnacho, and Rashford. And I don't think much else was really working. I, I know Kabi Mainu has been doing a great job too, to be clear, as an individual. But in terms of what was working in this team, that was really it. Um, I think between the three of them, something like, you know, 18, 19 uh, goals and assists over that seven, eight game stretch um, with five or six for each, seven for Hoyland and goals. Um, Hoyland's out. Both Rashford and Garnacho changed positions, which I thought was a mistake uh, in game instead of keeping at least that fluid, you know, the two of them in the spots, they've been doing pretty well. I think both struggled for different reasons in the game. I thought that um, I didn't think Forsen was bad or anything. I just didn't think he was very impactful, uh, which you wouldn't expect him to do too much, you know, in, the, in that kind of situation. Uh, I thought Ahmad was quite a bit better when he came on for the brief bit that he did. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I don't know what else to say. I, I mean... Yeah. Look, there wasn't really much, you know, <laughs> by way so of like. Yeah. There's a few things that deserve to be said. First of all, United squad is way too thin, mm -hmm. and it's not equipped to deal with key players missing. I accept that. Um, Anthony, of course, you know, I think it was very telling that he played Amari Forson rather than. Um, I don't. I don't know if that was more because he didn't trust Anthony, or because he didn't want to play Rashford down the middle, or whatever. Why did he want to do that? Um, but um, you know, when it, when you look at the, United miss a couple of key players, they they don't have the depth to deal with it. Now Fulham, I think, were well, they were one way game all season. Yeah, well, and they were missing three starters the same yeah. as we were. So, 
that's fine if you want to excuse not beating Man City. That's fine if you want to excuse not beating Liverpool. And I'm not saying you have a right to win every game in the Premier League, you don't. But they were so bad. And I think one of the things that bothered me was after the game when Ten Hag said United deserved to win. I'm like, mm. you know, I, I can accept you saying you look at the bigger picture and all that. I get that. But you have to say what you just saw. And I understand he doesn't want to criticize the players because he feels that's not getting the correct response. But that performance was disgraceful. And I don't think James, first of all, he would never get away with another run like the one he's just had, right? And I don't think yeah. he's got many more of these left. The question any of us have to be asking themselves is this. If we had no manager, would we hire Eric Ten Hag? That's it. Not what has he done or anything. Based on what we know right now, would we hire Eric Ten Hag? I, I think that if you if they took over United and United didn't have a manager, they wouldn't appoint Ten Hag. That doesn't mean they won't keep him. But you can see United doing something like this against City. And that being the end. I, I don't think he would survive another bad defeat, another bad performance. I really sense that, I mean, we'll talk about Ineos's comments last week, but they certainly weren't indicative of people that were completely behind him. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. And, and you know, uh, Harry Maguire after the game said they didn't do well enough to win the game. So, you know, he... <laughs> In in uh, in contrast to Ten Hag's comments that they should have won, it, uh, Harry said they didn't do enough over the ninety minutes to win the game, and I think that is a, certainly a more accurate assessment. I think Fulham were the better team for the vast majority of the game. I think that the teams United have played against that they've beat have been better than them in most games recently, outside of a few moments. But yeah, I, I, it is exactly that point that I've tried to make about the you know the Ten Hag job. The manager position is, um, <clears throat> it's not, nobody's sticking around by default at United. That's not how it works under Ineos, right? Mm -hmm. When we're talking about the CEO, Richard Arnold was not going to remain just because he was the CEO. John Marta's not staying as the director of football just because he was there. And Eric Ten Hag won't stay as manager just because he's there. Mm -hmm. They would have to decide that he is the right person. Yep. Um, to move forward with for the long haul. And and the issue you have with that is that um, it's not the same thing if if you struggle next year to say like, he's got one year left on his contract, let's give him another chance for another year. I don't think that is enough. Yeah. It isn't oh. the same to struggle. It isn't the same for Eric Ten Hag to struggle next season in his third season as it would be for a new manager to have some growing pains. If in November next year, Eric Ten Hag is still in the job and they're struggling, that's a real problem for Ineos because then they have to sack him. That's they a have problem. To. And that it would be a, a, a disaster for their first season in charge of the club to have to do that. If they have a new guy in and he's struggling in November, it's okay. It's acceptable. It's to be expected that there's going to be a bit of a growing pains and, and as any manager will get time to, to implement things. The bar is going to have to be way higher for Eric Ten Hag next year. But what that means is they're going to have to be convinced. And so speaking specifically on this game, when you're watching United play, are they convincing that there are ideas, that there is enough coaching, that there's enough going into this, regardless of the quality of the personnel, to be com confident this is your man, not for one year, but for three years 
or four years or five years moving forward. And, and I think that is definitely the issue yeah. um, at hand. I think in his defence, there's a couple of things I would say in his defence. The squad, the, the team that started against Fulham at the weekend consisted of two players that he had signed, yep. which is, I don't know whether that isn't the case of the concern that United have with his training methods, because once again, we've got other players missing due to uh, muscle injuries. Some of those have been sent, like Mason Mount situations, ridiculous. Malassia situations, ridiculous. Um, the Hoyland situation is a concern because, you know, I maybe I'm, you know, leaving out major details here, but I, I grew up watching football. I don't remember players getting this many injuries, con non-contact injuries. You know, you'd have a couple of forward squads were much smaller in the 90s. Um, I know they weren't playing quite as many games, but they were playing a lot of games. Yeah. We're supposed to have improvements in sports science and everything, and yet you would have players that almost, this this would happen to once or twice a year. You needed to have it once or twice every two months. And so the squad depth isn't good enough. It's not entirely his squad, except that. But there are certain things that make hard reading. One, the number of shots you needed to conceding in a game because it shows they're wide open. And two, the stat that Arsenal have scored already in February half as many goals than what you needed to have scored all season. Look, that to me is, I know stats don't always give a whole story, but those are awful indictments. I'm sorry, those are really yeah. hard reading. They are. It's, you know, it was something like in the last four games conceded as many shots as half of Man City season as a whole, you know, being the, the team. And and, yeah. and it's at both ends, these problems occurring. Um, you know, again, like you said, the depth is an issue, the personnel is an issue, but we're talking about Fulham, you know, at home. Mm. Yeah. You know, they haven't beat us since 2009 anywhere, one away win in, in all this time. Those excuses go out the window. If we were battering them, controlling the game, dominating, but failed to find that scoring edge without mm -hmm. Rasmus Hoyland, that would be different. We've had games like that over the years. Yep. We will always have games like that over the years where you just can't find a way through, but you're there. And that's a different story than what we're dealing with where we look regularly like the plucky underdogs who might be lucky to snag a goal. Um, and so, yeah, it's just... There's and and I don't think you know my I don't think it comes down to obviously there's going to be doubts there's going to be concerns there's going to be things like that among players I don't think it comes down to a lack of motivation or effort or things like that from the players in mm -hmm. general you know when you look at the the run over the last eight nine games where they have won a lot of games we were just talking about that the mentality looked a lot better they had comebacks against teams on multiple occasions setbacks. Come back against Aston Villa, going away there, winning, you know, Newport, even though they let them get back right level, which was kind of ridiculous. They didn't collapse afterwards. The, you know, Wolves going back again after conceding again and again and again and coming back and scoring and winning a game 4-3. I don't think it's a mentality problem. It's, it's a setup problem. It's a quality problem. And it's a depth problem and 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 so much more. It's all of those, of course. But um, you know, I don't want to sit and say that players don't want to win or nobody's on this, you know, that there's some some major other thing going on to explain it all away, except that it's just not working at the moment. Look, I think 
what I was encouraged to hear Jim Ratcliffe say was no manager succeeded here no. because of the, um, no. the environment, the atmosphere, which is 100% the case, right? Um, I think that there's very good reasons for why United managers fail. And just because any of us took over a month ago doesn't mean Ten Hag's experiencing the benefits of all they have to bring. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if Ten Hag gets sacked, another manager comes in, he will have inherited a much better situation than the one Ten Hag did and will be given a much better chance at succeeding than Ten Hag did. Uh, there's no question about that. Um, but the thing for me is, Champions League is obviously very important to United. They need to they need to qualify for that for revenue purposes. And when I look at the criticisms that are being leveled at Ten Hag, I think you can isolate some of those outside of some of the issues you have at United, like the setup. Okay, yeah. yes, you should still be able to put a team on the field that isn't that wide open, and the gaps between the defence, the midfield, and the forwards are massive. And Eric Ten Hag obviously knows a lot more about football than me. I don't know what he's trying to do. Um, and I'm sure he has a reason for playing this way. But I'm looking at that and I'm going, there's just been so many consistent statistics throughout each game that keep repeating themselves. Where you know United scoring and they concede a few minutes later, just like this they equalize in the 89th minute. I know they're pushing for the for the for the second goal they concede. How many games have they lost or conceded goals, key goals, in the last six, seven minutes? I mean, it happened at Arsenal, it happened at Wolves, they bailed themselves out. It happens a lot. And I'm looking at this and I'm going, these are things that you should be able to fix. And even if you, you should be able to put 11 players on the field from Manchester United that are that, that can play much better than that against Fulham. And I agree, I don't think it's a mentality issue. Um, I think that... One, they're not good enough, but two, I just think that um, they don't look set up properly. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I mean, I, they clearly were not not trying when they were heavily pushing for that second goal uh, to concede against Fulham. You know, they were not they were not dropping off. They were not collapsing. They were not not mm-hmm. going there. It just it just wasn't right, and um, and it just hasn't been. And 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 I think you know. Uh, one of the main points they pointed out in the setup is, you know, kind of a, there's this attempt to play a high press and a deep line, which is what you're talking about with these midfield gaps where it's the pitch is huge all the time. It's huge. And of course that can be a contributing factor to muscle injuries and things like that too. When your well, distances are so big between, yeah. the, between the lines, it's, it's everybody's covering more ground. In his slight defense, James, one thing I will say is this is the second January in a row where United needed to spend and really didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, last January he has to bring in Veghorst on loan. They need another striker in January, plainly, right? Because this was always the issue. What if Hoyland gets injured? And uh, this is a kid, remember, for the first couple of months of the season, couldn't play two games in a week. Um you know, what are you reduced to, Amari Forson? I mean, when you look at the fact that United are sitting there with the, with with really no fit central striker, one fit fullback at the club, that is an absolute disgrace for a club to mm-hmm. sit. It's just disgraceful. I mean, it is just a, 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 an awful indictment on everyone at Manchester United that has gone before them that the club is in that out of position and can't be FFP compliant because it's just it speaks to so much ineptitude 
that's in that sense, I feel for him. I mean, you look at the depth of Chelsea, City, all that. I mean, it's it's night and day. Yeah. But still, I think for Ten Hag and any other top club, he would not be there. And I know United have their own issues. But we said something on this show recently, and it's since proven to be a lot of top managers want that job now. Mm. With any other, uh, now we were saying this a few weeks ago. This is going to be one of the things that will change. Is other top managers will look at United and say, mm, "Attractive proposition," um, and that's only going to increase the pressure on Ten Hag. It will, and and you know, there's a lot of clubs that are looking for managers, but when you look at their positions, if you go to Bayern to replace Thomas Tuchel, if you're not winning Champions League, you're going to be a failure. <laughs> at Bayern mm-hmm. right now. It's a lot of pressure because mm-hmm. they perennially win the league outside of this season. Uh it's you know for the most part. That's a that's difficult. That's a difficult bar to step into for any manager. Mm-hmm. If you go to Liverpool, you're following up on their potentially greatest or at least one of their greatest managers, but certainly their greatest in most current fans' memory, right? Uh of Liverpool. That's what you're dealing with there. You're following up on that and a revival and potentially even another title winning season or a mm-hmm. multiple trophy winning season. I mean, they're in all four competitions still right now, right? After winning mm-hmm. the league cup on Sunday. So that is yep. a tough job to fill for anybody. Um, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. And then, you know, you also have the simple fact that Xabi Alonso being a uh, Liverpool mm-hmm. kind of le- legend, there's it's, it's almost tailor made for him if he wants it, but you know, that that means when you look at all these jobs available at United, you have an extremely underperforming. I mean, it's a dream for a manager who's confident it's that they know what they're yeah. doing. It is perfect because the, the expectations, not that they aren't high, they're always high, but how it's been is at the bottom. It's been awful. And you have this new group coming that's actually, you know, <laughs> doing things and going to appoint things. And in a lot of ways, going to absolve you of a lot of responsibility that the other managers did not get absolved yes. of, including Ten Hag, including Ten Hag when you're talking about transfers and things like that and making bad calls. The next manager of United, if it's not Ten Hag next season, will not be blamed for how we make transfers if one doesn't go right. They will not be well, given any responsibility in in, in a respect. I, I, there's always some, but they will not be treated yeah. the same way by fans, mm-hmm. media, etc. in terms of how they buy, how they sell, what they're doing, because they won't have that pressure on them. It is a it is a dream in a lot of ways for many managers, um, especially the kind of modern day managers. Well, Ratcliffe has said that it's ridiculous that the manager reports to the owner. Yeah, right? that he speech. needs to report to the CEO, the, the basically the guy that runs the uh, football department, which would be Barada, I would imagine, and not Dan Ashworth. So and the people under him, yeah. So. Understanding the pyramid would be done, I would be Barada, then you know, Ashworth on down. So, Ten Hag would be responsible to Barada, who technically can't take over to the summer. But as we all know, you know, that's impractical. They're I'm sure he's influencing stuff behind the scenes, and it's not like it's his first job in football. So, we'd be well versed on you know what the top managers are. I'm sure at City they had to consider what would happen if um Guardiola, you know, oh, yeah. hit by a bus tomorrow. Another thing that I thought was interesting from Ineos, from from Radcliffe was the statement that we have our ideas of how football should be played. And it was essentially saying Ten Hag either has to adjust to that or he he leaves. 
right? Correct. And so that's obviously going to shape how United recruit, um, which will be different from how Ten Hag recruits. Um, so it's great that they're putting a very clear reporting structure in place that everything's derivative from Barada down. Um, and I look at that and I'm thinking, you know, if I was Ten Hag, I would concern me because Jim Ratcliffe could have easily come out and said something that was extremely supportive of Ten Hag, and he didn't. He didn't, I mean, people are trying to interpret his words, but he's not stupid, right? So he didn't criticize him, but he didn't really support him. And if I was Ten Hag and that was my new boss, that would concern me a bit. So I look at that and I'm thinking, you know, if they didn't get rid of Ten Hag, you know, you would have to imagine Barado would be key to replacing him. Is that something they want to do before Dan Ashworth gets there? Is that something that they want to do now? Um, I would find it hard to believe that Dan Ashworth isn't also influencing decisions that he needed in some point from his garden. Yeah, he's just gardening. You know, he's mm. just he's got one plant that says, you know, Ten Hog on it, and they're waiting to see if he's going to pull it out of the ground or keep it where it is at the moment, you know, but, um, <laughs> but no, what you, your point on what Sir Jim Ratcliffe said is actually, I think very, um, it would, it'd be very easy. I'm not, I don't think under any circumstances, Sir, uh, Sir Jim would have said something negative about Ten Hag, right? Uh, would have said, oh, you know, are you confident in the manager? He's not going to say no. Uh, <laughs> Mid-season, the guy's in the job. He's not going to say no. But to me, it would be very easy to say yes, though. To it me, if he doesn't say yes, he says exactly. no. Exactly. Well, that's the point, right? Very easily, he could say, yeah, Ten Hogs, mm. our guy. We're going to back him. We're going to give him what he needs. And he's going to you know, align with us to move forward at this club to the future. Instead, he says it's not about the manager. Mm -hmm. It is telling. It is telling into the, view, the way that they view things, which is, no, they don't think he's the guy right now, probably. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. I think it's fairly clear that he is not the guy. He's interviewing. And I think that the time of that interview is almost up. Because as we've discussed a few times, and as is the case, you cannot wait until June to look at the manager and decide what you're going to do next year. If it's Ten Hag, you need to decide in March because you're going to have to be recruiting and doing the things you need yeah, to do. Yeah, exactly. If it's not Ten Hag, you're mm -hmm. going to have to decide in March. I agree. Because you're going to have to be doing these things. So this interview, and, and I think the problem Ten Hag has is you have Man City next weekend. Yep. You just lost to Fulham. I don't think he has time to change the outcome of his interview by much. You know what I mean? I think it's uh, they're, they're, they're going to have to be making these decisions now. And would you say he's done enough? Yeah, if I was him, I'd be a bit concerned at this mm -hmm. point in time that I don't think I've done enough to convince them that I'm the guy moving forward. Because again, as I say, the view is not give him a chance next year and maybe we'll have to sack him in November. That cannot happen. It can't. Mm -hmm, exactly. It would be the, the absolute zero chance that that happens. They will not take him into next season without confidence that he's the guy moving forward. Next season um, March, James. Yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, this is... You, that, that's true. And then that's what most of the big clubs have talked about. Year. Yeah. So they have to decide nine. Yeah. And I'm telling you, if you need to get, especially after what Radcliffe said about not considering off the perch, <laughs> if you need to go to City and they get beaten comfortably, I, I think it's that's it. I, I just yeah. don't see any way else surviving. And United fans cannot take another hiding 
against City. Yeah. And with no Haaland, no Martinez, no Shaw, what else do you expect? I mean, I, I certainly am not looking forward to this game. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. I uh, think it may <laughs> be one of those last moments that you have to experience before... You know, the, the, before there's real change. And I speak with him because I say this as someone that's defended him vociferously. Um, I didn't want to just turn on him. I thought, you know, he'd done a good job last season. He deserves some grace. But we're sitting here in February and that performance against Fulham you know, is, is plagued them all season. Yeah. I think I'd asked some people I speak with recently just from an opinion standpoint because I'm – I'm I'm really I you know I really don't want to act as if just because we have an audience or people who listen or we do this kind of stuff act as if I know better than anybody uh, especially the people who are making the decisions right mm-hmm. and so I've been really curious to say you know cuz things are just my opinion but I I feel as though the question would be asked as this uh, really simply right now if you were to look at it Aside from things like, well, you know, managers need time uh, or uh, this manager took two years to get there. This manager took three, things like that. I asked if if you can really give a solid reason to say what Ten Hag is doing, doing, and I mean really doing as a manager that would tell you he's the right guy for it. Um, And it's hard to find an answer to that question. And I think that's the same problem that you know, he'll have when Ineos are asking those same questions. What are you doing that would tell us you're the right guy moving forward? Uh, And we're not seeing much evidence of that. I think the other thing is for him to continue, they have to have unshakable belief in him, unshakable confidence. They have to say, okay, we're going to support you this summer. Um, We're going to be 100% behind you. But... If they say that in March, maybe by May, and they'd have had another stinking run. But they've got, I mean, yeah. you can't back out on that. And that's why I'm saying I feel like there's just too much uncertainty about him. Yeah. Where it's probably not fair, but you know, at this level, it's not about fair. But I just feel there's going to be enough sufficient doubt for any of us to say we just cannot throw everything in with him because. Right. Um, given United the FFP situation, can they afford to get this wrong? You know, right. they, or can they really afford to give Ten Hag a bunch of money this summer, then turn around in November and know exactly what you knew in February and say this didn't work? Because what you've got now, James, is you've got people at Old Trafford who will be judged on these decisions. So yeah. if they get this wrong from from Brailsford, you know. Uh, and the rest of this team, Barada, they get this wrong. They're going to own this decision. In the past, United, you know, executives never owned that decision. If it was wrong, yep. it was the manager's fault, not our fault. But that's not yep. the case anymore. So now you've got people at the football club who are going to be judged on these decisions. And when you have people that are also risking their reputation on this decision, I think that's where, you know, it, you just won't get the same rope at United as you always did. And I know there's people that are split on this about whether you should, whether, you know, Ten Hag should continue or not. But, um, and personally, I would love nothing more for him to continue and get it right, you know, and, you know, we needed to win trophies and play attractive football. But I, I just feel that the fact that we're 18 months in 
And United are still three or four players away from completely falling apart. If they lose him, they lose Martinez, they lose, they lose Manu, they lose their left back, they lose their central striker. What have you got left? Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. And I'm willing to accept whatever it is that Ineos decide because they're going to do their things for the right reasons and they're going to have the right people making that decision. And that's that's really fine with me at the end of the day um, to go with. I mean, if they decided he was the guy and they went with it, then I'd have a lot of belief they'd turn it around, frankly, just by all my mm-hmm. own doubts and concerns because I know they know what they're doing. <laughs> you know, I don't have that kind of hubris to, to assume that – uh, you know, despite, I don't think I don't, I don't think I know nothing. I don't think that my intuition tends to be off too often, but I'm certainly not anywhere close to the expert or an expert on things on this type of, on this type of thing. So, um, I'm, I, I guess we'll see, but I think that the biggest takeaway is that if you're looking at it now, uh, that decision will be made soon by them. Jim. And, uh, at the moment, you wouldn't say – you would say it's the river's running one direction right now. Let me ask you about a couple of other things that Ratcliffe said. Um, one, a lot of discussion over Mason Greenwood, mm-hmm. about whether Mason Greenwood would be brought back. You sort of go back to what we were saying about Ten Hag. If you weren't going to bring Mason Greenwood back, you just say no. Mm-hmm. But yeah. If you are thinking about bringing him back, you give the answer that you just gave. And one thing I will say about Ratcliffe that I feel is that he will make what he believes to be the right decision, um, not one that's swayed by social media. Um, Whether he wants that baggage or not, bringing him back is another question um, because he and he also will definitely take enormous criticism if they bring him back. Um, And so, but it sounded like to me that um, that was the door he left open. I think there's a couple of things on this, yeah, and and obviously it's a it's a bit of a delicate topic. On the one hand, bringing him back, or the impression that you're bringing him back, is a good thing mm-hmm. for United's finances if you're going to potentially sell him, because if you say his career is finished at United at this point in time, him being an asset that is potentially extremely valuable as an academy player. Um, it could be reductive to what you are going to get out of uh, clubs that may come and offer. And there will be clubs that come and offer from Spain, especially where he's doing very well. Um, there's good teams there that would be looking at him. That being said, what you said about not being swayed on social media, I think is certainly apt to you because without making any sort of implication, because I'm really not trying to imply something with this. If United had viewed significantly more evidence than was available to everybody else, like they said they did, including extended versions of recordings and all sorts of things that we don't have to get into and don't want to get into. And they felt that they knew he was, let's call it innocent for for the sake of the, the, the word. If that were the case, yeah, I think Ineos would be more likely to bring him back than and not worry about the the reaction because of what you said. They will there are people who will do things that are that they believe to be right, uh, rather than by reaction on social media, either direction. Um, they're certainly not gonna bring him back because people are calling for him to come back either if they don't think that he should. 
And so I think they are going to very likely review everything that has happened, uh, everything that has occurred, the decision-making process and all of it. And I don't think that's something that we're going to have to wait till August to find out about either. I'm pretty sure it's probably already decided, frankly. Uh, mm. And then determine, okay, if we're bringing them back, is there a good way to present this mm-hmm. that is honest and forthright and doesn't lose goodwill? Um, and is there a willingness on the part of the individuals as well to be um, participant in that or not? If there's not a good way to bring them back or they're not willing to be a participant in the right actions that would need to be taken, or there's a their review of it leaves any doubt that he should be a United player, then he won't come back. Um, I would still think it's most likely that he doesn't. Um, I don't want to make an implication as to, you know, the, the actual uh, events or anything like that at all, because there's no reason to. But yeah, I think that they will, I think for the time being, given he's playing football professionally right now in Spain, uh, it's you're probably going to think with that it is a possibility of him coming back from Ineos perspective and what they would want out there. And, and then we'll see, <laughs> I think we'll, I think something will be said about that, you know, once some of the other decisions are, are made as well. Um, either way, they'll probably be putting the feelers out as to, as to selling just because of the potential asset and, uh, and financial gain that it'll make too. I can't be certain about this, but, I think the way United handled the whole process was one, they wanted to kick a con down the road in the hope that mm-hmm. new owners would have to deal with it. Two, they didn't want to release him because he's too much of an asset. Yeah. Three, there was promises made to Mason Greenwood that this would be handled before the end of the window. Mm-hmm. So they were trying to find a way to justify bringing him back because he was too much of an asset and when it got to the point where they had to deal with it because Greenwood's team were like, he's got to play. So either yeah. he leaves right now, they made a massive mistake because they teased it stupidly. I agree with you. If the evidence exculpates him, then stick to that. Mm-hmm. But if it doesn't, then don't. You know, yeah. but you can't turn around and say the evidence actually paid to, but I'm kicking him out anyway because it just, you get no credit for that. It's just stupid because yeah. you're not being led by values. Yeah. So I just feel that they completely mishandled it because they thought it would probably be somebody else's problem by that stage. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, obviously it's a sensitive subject to talk about. Other thing is Jim Radcliffe said that he prefers to build a new stadium other than renovate Old Trafford. I thought that was a big thing, really, because that was, you know, it is a big decision to build a yeah. new stadium rather than Old Trafford. I think you were saying you, 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 you preferred that. Option, you know, United obviously have difficulties with the south stand at the back of the railway. Um, that's a single tier stand, so it's difficult to build out on that. Um, but talking about, you know, we talked about the fact that United Stadium really wasn't commensurate with the team of United stature, same with the training facilities. These are all things that are going to take years to do, obviously, but that is um, a big decision and to change to rebuild to build a new old Trafford. It is. It is a big decision. And it's, I think, a long-term thinking decision. It's, it's, it's really tough, obviously, because, you know, but again, I think that even, I think we'll see some consistency with Ineos and being led by certain values. Uh, and if you're talking about, like, let's say you remove all the motion from the equation mm-hmm. um, and you say our priority is football 
winning matches and building the, the biggest, most successful club in the world? And I think that answers your question as to what the right decision is for them. And I think that that's a little, that is how they're going to view things. I mean, these are business people at the end of the day. And, and, and you do kind of have to leave that emotion at the door because it's dollars and cents. And even when you're not talking about, about money in specific, it's still dollars and cents. It's when you, it's a very logical approach to things that, that they're going to take and a very, uh, and it's, it's going to be purely logic and data driven um, in the way that they make these decisions. They have done as a business, massive amounts of, you know, teardowns, rebuild things of plants of facilities of all sorts of stuff over the years that have nothing to do with football. And it's always dollars and cents. Um, and I, I think that they've just looked at it and said, yeah, I mean, look at what Madrid has done with theirs. Look at what you can do. Uh, it's, it's the best option. The Wembley of the North, like you said, holding events, things like that, all of that there. Um, as far as I know, even before this bidding process was even close to complete way early on, they had been exploring potential commercial partners for things like this in Asia, the Middle East and elsewhere to say, you know, across, across the world, really to say, you know, there's a lot of opportunities when you build a stadium that can house, uh, other events, other things, all of that. In addition, you open the door to a lot bigger pool of commercial enterprise rather than just diluting what you already have. I mean, there's mm-hmm. so many, so many sponsorships you can put on the United shirt or you yeah. know, on, on the training ground, but you start to expand the stadium start to increase what you have. I mean, you look at how like F1 is doing that thing with, with Wembley, right. Where they're having like a track outside or something like that too. I mean, the possibilities become rather large in terms of the types of deals and things that you can work out once you have a facility that can uh, accommodate that. And so I think it's, it's a, it, it raises the ceiling on income on revenue on all of that significantly more than just the number of seats uh, in the venue. What I would say is, I do said with people who push back on the fact that it should be taxpayer funded. I understand City, I understand West Ham, I understand all that. But I still think football clubs should pay for their own stadiums. Um, it'd be interesting to see how this does get financed. Let me ask you a question. I was thinking about this. Yeah. So more or less since this whole Ineos thing has been announced, if you go back to Ineos's bid statement, Allegedly, pissed the Glazers off because they said they were going to put Manchester back in Manchester and all that. Well, they more or less been repeating that parlance since they've had to take over, where football is going to be the number one priority again at the club, where you know the environment hasn't been there, where you know the stadium's falling apart. You know, how do you think the Glazers are reacting to this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that when you take obviously the announcement which occurred, of course, alongside statements from the Glazers as well, right? In the written thing, very brief ones, mm-hmm. of course. Um, their view on it, I don't think they particularly care whether anyone else shares their view on it or not. But I think their view on it now is, that's our guy. So what he's doing, we're doing. What he's fixing, mm-hmm. we're fixing. I think that's the way they'll view it. I think that's the way that it'll be rationalized to them. And I think it's kind of that simple. It's they're not on opposing. And and to be fair, it has to be this way, right? They're not on opposing teams anymore. So Jim is not, it's not their opposition. 
they're teammates now. It is what it is. Um, that's how you get things done <laughs> in the world a bit. And, uh, and that is what is the view of it now. They're teammates. And so, you know, if, uh, if your coat, if you have a coach talking about your team and saying it's, it's, it's shit, they're playing like shit, their style is shit, their performances are shit. That's no good. But if that guy's your coach and he's talking about how we're going to play better, we're going to improve the style, we're going to improve all of this, you're okay with it. You're a bit better. And Japan, I think that's the way they're going to view it. Every, everything these guys have been doing for the last few years is nowhere near good enough. This, I don't know. I mean, it's not specific criticism. It's generic, so it's not leveled yeah. at one individual particularly. Um, but um, to me, it's very thinly veiled. Big, of course, uh, of course. You know, but um but let's let's be real. You know this, and I know this too. Um, the Glazers' perspective has been many times that it's someone else's fault that they gave Ed Woodward enough power to do things the way that it should have been done right, and that he was responsible for a lot of what happened. That was poor. We know that that's how they view it. But I don't believe. I mean, to me, that's totally unfair because of, I, I think it is too. Anything but, with like, their permission. No, no, no. Word. I no, I agree with you. Like, yeah. I just like. like I mean, I, I'm not defending Ed here, but obviously he was doing the job he was asked to do. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. I mean, I'm just saying they, it, they believed that, even though they, they held him with a leash, you know? Yeah, I mean, can you imagine when we were working for Jim Ratcliffe? He wouldn't last five minutes in that position because he's not <laughs> yeah. qualified for that position. That's the part that exactly. I don't understand is they knew yeah. that he wasn't qualified. So why were they – why did they turn around and do this in 2015 when it was blatantly obvious that this is what needed to happen? Mm-hmm. Um and um, all these changes could have been implemented at such minimum, minimal cost, mm-hmm. you know, because um, certainly nothing compared to what they threw away by not making yep. these changes. Um, some other news. I put something out there the other week, uh, the other day, about Jaden Sancho. And I said, I really hope that Jaden Sancho finds his potential, realizes his potential. Mm-hmm. I understand people feel differently about this. You know, I'm not. You know, what Jaden did at Manchester United is definitely deserves criticism. But I said, look, I just can't emotionally invest in his failure. I, 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 I don't like seeing that happen to anyone. He had mm-hmm. another really poor game at the weekend. Uh was dragged off after 75 minutes in the 3-2 loss to Hoffenheim. Some in the German media said he was the worst player on the pitch. He has no goals, no assists in his last five games. Scored in the, uh, got an assist in the first game that he played. Um, but uh, Sancho really seems to be struggling. This from um, I really worry about him too, because if he can't revitalize himself in Dortmund, where does it happen? Yeah, it's it's a concern. Um, you know, and I, I want to go back to the the Jim Ratcliffe's comment on environments, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of sad to see it, and it's not absolving him of the responsibility for the things that he's responsible for. But there's no need to revise history. Jaden Sancho is one of the best players in the world when we bought him. Mm-hmm. I think he was one of maybe three yeah, players in history yeah. with the kind of numbers he had as a at his age. 40 goals and assists mm-hmm. multiple seasons by the time he was like 19, right? Uh, in Champions League too. I'm not just talking about the German League. which Yeah, if you saw Sancho today, want, but, if you saw that Sancho at Dortmund today, you'd want him. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. You'd, you'd say – whatever it takes, bring him back and let's have this guy, right? Two and a half years, realized, two and a half years at United during a time, you know, when is probably particularly crucial 
for a player to really continue to develop into what they need to be two and a half years. And you can't really remember him playing football for Manchester mm -hmm. United. You had obviously the first season he came in, there was the euros obviously. And I'm led to believe that that situation was really bad for him and Marcus Rashford for over the following season, something they really struggled with. Oh, that's um, well, the way they were also they treated by the club, but they didn't feel they felt Saka mm -hmm. was treated yep. a lot better than what yep. the way Rashford and um, Sancho were treated upon return, where they felt that there was no one at the club who really defended them. Yeah, and this is what you talk about environments that you you end up feeling isolated, and it, you know it's not oh poor you and all that, but these are young kids who dealt with enormous enormous criti criticism racism all sorts of things following that yeah. um and and i don't think either of them frankly have ever truly put that to rest that it, the things that have happened to that even to this day uh but then obviously the team fell apart in the same season Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was sacked um you go through Ralph Rangnick you, you know didn't wasn't particularly a good environment at United at all during that period of time. Uh, you have issues last season, you know, going away for months, all of that, all of it, you know, coming to say there has not been a good environment at United for a long time. And it is a fact we've all seen many, many times that very often the longer a player stays at United, the worse they get uh, and the worse things get for them. Like we've said, there's very few who've left United and gone on to do better. It's, it's in many instances there, you know, things have fallen to a point that is, you know, no longer a good scene for them. And, and that's unfortunate. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate. And I, and I think that it is, it would be wrong to say that United and the state of things at United hasn't been a contributing factor to that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, certainly, but, you know, again, it doesn't absolve him of the things that are there, but it is a shame because, that is not the same footballer that there was two and a half years ago at this point in time. And he's still young and still has time to recover that and get it back. And he's going to have to fix some things, of course, himself to do that. But it is, a, it is a shame. And, and it, for me, it's more worrisome. I'm not so worried about it anymore that those kind of things would continue to happen, but it is worrisome. You look at the players at United, Kabi Manu, Alejandro Garnacho, these young players who are particularly exciting, Rasmus Hoyland, that right now they're energetic, they're they're aggressive, they have everything you want in a player. And in the environment, the way it's been at United, I bet two years from now they'll all look like the players everybody wants sold. And uh, and that's one of the main things that I think, you know, when you talk about environments needs to change because it's not just that the next manager or Eric Ten Hag would have no chance in the environment the way that it's been. But neither will the players, neither will anybody we bring in, neither will any young people we we sign uh, will succeed in, in this environment uh, without the changes that are there. But what about Ross Barkley? Will he, will he uh, thrive in that environment? I think Ross Barkley would do great. He's in a... <laughs> no, that, that, was a, that was a funny one. I actually quite like Ross Barkley. He's had a bit of a, an interesting career path. Well, well but, do you uh, think there's anything in it? You know, no, not particularly, because I don't think that that you know, Dave Brailsford is signing players for Manchester United. I think Sir Jim made that pretty clear too, that they're not going to be the ones making that decision. So uh, did Dan Ashworth try to bring Ross Barkley to Newcastle? Uh, I don't think he did. 
Um, I don't think that Dan Ash would be interested in signing him. I don't think Omar Barad would be interested in signing him. So I don't particularly think that there's anything in that beyond that. A cursory, hey, you know, we know he's a good guy. We know he's a good teammate. He, we know he's somebody that be a positive influence on the club. But beyond that, does he fit what United want to want to bring in? Probably not. Okay. Last two points. Next time we record, we'll know if Nated are still in the FA Cup or not. And we'll know the result of the Derby. And play uh, Forest, of course, in midweek. Very, very tough enough game. This is where I feel like if they were to get knocked out of the Cup and lose against City, I think, you know, that's that's it for Ten Hag. Tell me, what do you see in the next two games? Yeah. Um, obviously, the, the Forest game um, is like... That one you can't. I mean, City, you can, you not saying you can lose City. This is a, it's a tough situation where we're at at the moment because it's not like you can lose. Uh, you're not expected to beat City, but you absolutely have to beat Forest. You absolutely have to beat Forest. You don't. You won't get much credit for beating them, um, but you still have to do it. And so United have to do it. I agree with both those statements, but if United lose to City by being completely outclassed, tactically outclassed, there's no excuse for them. Sorry. Yeah. You no, no, I yeah. put in a you put in a, a, a performance where you give a hundred percent, where you don't let yourself down, where you know you play for the bads, you play for the fans. Yeah. You know, they've, they've thrown in the towel so many times against Man City. I can go, I can take going there and losing one nil, two one, whatever. Where you need to put in a performance where there's nothing between the two teams. What I can't take is if you need to go out there and we're three four nil down by half time. It's it's one, I just I can't. I'm done with. Them. I know. Well, I, I, I agree with that. It's like if you were to take this week and say after these next two games, if you, you'd have to beat Forrest pretty decently. I mean, not necessarily by multiple goals, but have a good game, you know, and, and beat Forrest. And you'd have to go to City and you don't have to win necessarily. A draw would be great. Mm, uh, if you lost in a really tight game. Yeah. yeah I'll go away from it and say, all right, you know, they, they did what they were supposed to with it. I don't know how to see it. I mean, we saw that they went away to Liverpool not long ago and, and did well getting that draw. Liverpool were pretty bad that day at mm-hmm. the same time. Yeah, well. right? But United also could have easily scored a couple goals as well, I think, in, in, the, uh, in the alternative. I don't mind if, you know, I said it before that game. Go in, put 11 men behind the ball and play counterattacking football and, and grind it out, which is what they did. And I think that it was a positive. And I don't think that Ten Hag even got any criticism aside from Virgil van Dijk whining about it. In the I don't press. think they would get away with that if City, I think Holland would have actually punished They can't. That, that's the issue. The City are way better at breaking that down. So you mm-hmm. can't quite do that. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer got some really good results against City by kind of taking it to them a bit more. Uh, it's It's a conundrum. You have to be brave against City. You can't. You know, what we're doing isn't working, but you can't settle back and sit because they will pick you apart and score. You, no. you, we're not going to be able to do that against them. So I don't know what to say. I just uh, I hope they're they're up for it and I hope that they do the best that they can um, with it. But I think that, um, yeah, there is potential that this is a decisive week for a number of reasons. One of the things that can't happen is if you need to lose to Forrest and then someone like Alanga scores the winner. Because it's going to look terrible for Ten Hag, yeah. right? I mean, it's just going to be you kept Anthony, and this kid, fifteen million, who came through your academy, put just knocked you out of the FA Cup. Like that type of storyline, Ten Hag cannot have, because yeah. that is something that I think 
you know, Ineos would be, when, when you talk about the their irritation over recruitment and the fact that they think it's been mismanaged with not just players that have come in, but players that have gone out. I mean, that is yeah. something where I would be sitting there going, you sold this kid and you brought in a, a guy at 85 million that would he come on the 99th minute against Fulham. I mean, that's to me really telling. Yeah. Um, going, this this looks really bad. He's got and 12 goals and assists in the Premier League, Anthony Alonga, this season. Yeah, and I'm not so, saying that you shouldn't have sold him. I'm yeah. not saying, you know, but the problem isn't the decision that you sold him, it's the two you sold him for. Yeah. That yeah. just looks really bad judgment. Yeah. When you're sitting there going, you know, we're up against the wall here with the FFP. We're not, you know, and and we're sitting here with an 85 million pound winger on the you know bench that doesn't play because he isn't good enough. And you know, he, I mean, he looks so far off it. And I don't want to keep singling him out. I just think it is a really big issue for Ten Hag and the evaluation yeah. of okay, where is he succeeded and where has he failed? The 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 Onana one isn't even that much for conversation anymore. It's this no. glaring Anthony issue where it's like, hey, you know, and it's it's uh, I and I don't know what the situation is with Casemiro. Obviously, he came off injured with his head. Um, but um, I just I, I look at that United team. I mean, one of the things that stands out to me from that Forest game was right before the game when Morgan Gibbs White was saying, "Look at their faces. They don't want to be here." Mm-hmm. And I thought that was dominant, and the fact that United weren't offended at that, the players weren't offended at that. Mm-hmm. I mean, they owe United a performance there. Yep. And, uh, I don't know. I think this is a really telling week on Eric Ten Hag's future. And nothing would please me more than to be sitting here next Monday talking about two victories. But I would be okay. amazed. Yep. You no, know? but yep. uh, all right, man. You got anything else? No, that's it. I think the only other thing to just mention on this is obviously, you know, United are still, or Ineos are still working through those recruitment of individuals aside from Dan Ashworth, which they're mm-hmm. they're still addressing. Um, Jason Wilcox, but then it sounds like they're likely to be bringing in somebody else in addition to that. At one point, it was sounded like Julian Ward was ruled out, but it seems like some people are kind of getting the idea that maybe there is something in that and uh it's certainly a lot of people um Mm -hmm. but the the only interesting thing i want to highlight about it just in terms of how any of us think about things too is that it seems like jason wilcox who who uh omar barada would be familiar with of course from from manchester city would be in a role in which he's sort of overseeing coaching and the performance side of things, um, which of course lends a question one to Darren Fletcher and what his yeah, future is at the club, um, but two, the way that they look at things, you know, somebody who is not the coach overseeing the coach, and and I think that continues to impress upon this point of how they view the manager, and um, that I think the they're looking at Matt Hargreaves too. Yeah, yes, certainly. I think that's somebody who would who would probably move on. And that it's, uh, you know, you do what we want, you know, from the coach too, from the manager too. It's not the other way around. Um, it's the decision comes down and you adjust to it and you conform to that and you answer to that or, or we get somebody who does particularly. But uh, a lot of a lot of overhauls come in now. And obviously, I think now that they are in officially, fully, totally, legally, and from every aspect where they don't have to do things, you know, in any sort of shady manner, uh, I think you'll 
I think they'll move. They'll be moving really fast through the next month or so, uh, especially on on appointments and the decisions like we, we've talked about to get as much of this in place as possible. Because again, the next season starts in March. That's when teams, everybody's preparing and making their final calls for summer and for next year now. So uh, we're kind of on the precipice of it, even though there's so many questions left to be answered. We shall see a lot happening, and at least it's happening at a rapid pace. So um, at least we're getting whether, even if it's the wrong decision, there's no more indecision. Yes. The <laughs> but it's like, okay, you know what? We won't get every decision right, but there's decisiveness, and yep. you, you feel like these decisions are motivated by all the right factors. All right, folks, we'll go ahead and leave it there. Thanks to all of you for downloading the podcast, for downloading the wrong podcast last week, too. Um, so um, I'll have to label these to make these a little bit more simple so that I don't uh, upload the wrong one. But um, thanks for all of you who download the show, who listen to the show, who get in touch with us each week. Let us know that you do and who share it and retweet it. It's always very much appreciated. We will be back again next week. I uh, hope you're all physically and mentally well. Take it easy, folks. See you later, man. Thank you. See you all.